Welcome to American Education FM, everybody. I'm Dr. Sean Brooks. Welcome back, everybody. Okay, first of all, new Substack is up. Cicely Hellickson herself wrote this one. She decided to contribute to the American Classroom.substack.com, and she's wanted to for a while, and boom, she sent one over, and it's fantastic. Again, it is titled The Quiet Subversion. How your library plays along with the destruction of your child and what this homeschooling parent does instead. Again, she takes you right through what she does with her, her two young boys, the process and the procedure that she goes through, and of course, a lot of the degeneracy that she's noticed within these school libraries, which I know is very well known to numerous people, but again, she provides a solution. Numerous solutions, as a matter of fact. So, it's just a great, great article. Again, I highly recommend bouncing over there and checking it out. And uh, thank you again, Cicely, for writing it. It's fantastic. Okay, first of all, I've got a great deal of education things to bring up. I've got some audio to play as well. Continues to prove that the Uvalde uh, shooting, of course, didn't occur. And a listener of the show sent some comments to me and a couple of links in Rumble on my Rumble channel regarding this. I didn't even know that the Uvalde parents, quote-unquote, showed up uh, to Congress back when this all happened. Absolutely embarrassing. And it proves embarrassing, trust me. And you're going to hear it firsthand. Uh, I've got a few comments to make again regarding the last Oxford school board meeting. It, too, was embarrassing. And the public comments there are, frankly, equally as embarrassing, which is a shame. You'd think that these people would start to learn, but apparently they, they haven't learned. So here's where I'll start. First of all, as you're probably aware, the shootings just are everywhere. There's almost a gun in every single news story that's going on this week. There's a shooting over here, there's a shooting over here, there's a shooting over there. I think I said in a previous episode regarding stadium shootings, quote unquote, or that if something were to happen, within or around a sporting event, that it wouldn't take much to create a great deal of panic. And it wouldn't create much to, again, create not only panic, but utter confusion and have individuals get their stories crossed and stories mixed up and a thousand other things. Well, that apparently happened, of course, during the Kansas City Chiefs parade that took place in downtown Kansas City. And, uh, Believe it or not, they've arrested a number of different people, and it turns out they're illegals. At least some of them are apparently illegal. So that doesn't fit the narrative that the mainstream media wants people to pay attention to, that, oh gosh, this, this must have been a white person, or maybe it was a black person who, oh, I don't know, wanted to hurt other people for one reason or another. But either way, as it turns out, apparently some of them are illegal. Now, again, I don't have all the details, but apparently uh, there was one victim who was, in fact, killed, along with numerous others who were wounded, and then citizens jumped into action and, and took these people down. I also find it remarkably suspicious from this standpoint, and again, I don't know how common this is, but even the police chief and the mayor of the town, who is a Democrat, and the police chief is a female, they openly came out during their press conference and they said something like there were 600. Kansas City police officers on the scene monitoring the crowd before the shooting for security purposes, but there were also 200 other agency officials who were there. 
so approximately 800 total people who were carrying sidearms. If not, again, rifles and other individuals located at particular rooftops or whatever it may have been. Seems like an awful lot of security. Again, I, I don't think they have that much security for a stadium. And again, I, I don't know the exact numbers of the participants in the actual parade. I heard one report that said there were approximately a million people there. So, again, I don't know all the ins and outs, but what I do know is that the media is going to run with a gun story very quickly, and then they're going to back off of it very quickly when they find out that, oh gosh, the people who did this are in fact either the usual suspects or they are illegal aliens. Because as we know, that doesn't fit their storyline. It doesn't fit the, well, they're seeking asylum for a better life doesn't fit any of that. Again, there was another shooting in a school or around a school around the Atlanta area. I, again, I have no doubt that that actually happened. In fact, I would go so far as to say that's probably a regular occurrence. It's just whether or not the media picks up on it on the same day as other shootings and then lumps them all together in order to, again, create fear, create division, a thousand things. So. People have to understand that the media lies for a living, they embellish for a living, and when they coordinate particular stories that happen across the United States and they happen to do it all on the same day, well, they're cherry-picking. They're cherry-picking a number of subjects that they want to bring up because, again, they want to stoke the flames of division as much as they possibly can. And unfortunately for the gullible, it works. It works all of the time. Okay, that's my two cents on that. Let me get into this. This was this is strange, and again, you've heard me bring up this this school district before, the Westerville City School District in Westerville, Ohio, where my niece and nephew attend. Uh, their last board meeting was again very bizarre, and there were a couple of things that occurred, which again should show you how the Jewish lobby completely controls and manipulates these school board members and these superintendents and the people that run these school districts. Because you would think that doing such a thing as what they did here and outlined here would, uh, would be something that they would want to avoid. But it, it wasn't. It was something that they flat out invited. So before I play the audio, let me just kind of summarize this very quickly. And the irony, again, is palpable. It's all over the place. As you've heard me say, and she's first on my Deadpool when it comes to school board members, but there's a school board member by the name of Jennifer Altman who is jabbed to the bone on this school board, and she coughs incessantly. She coughs all of the time. She's ill. It's beyond evident, and she's been ill ever since taking the very first shot that she took. God knows how many she's taken. But she coughs throughout the entire board meeting, constantly. In fact, at one point, she's hacking up a lung during a student wellness presentation. I mean, Please. Either way, at the beginning of this board meeting, they hand out essentially three student awards. She hands out two awards. The first one is for a male high school student who is not there because he went home sick that day. The second is for a female Muslim student who is present and is there, and she receives the award also. But I want you to hear 
why these two students received these awards and were nominated to receive these awards. Again, the very process of a school district having an award system where teachers can nominate students for awards and then they are recognized publicly by the school board, this is a very dangerous practice for endless reasons. Most importantly, I would say, because it exposes the double standard. So I'm going to play the audio so you can hear this, and you'll hear why they were nominated. And again, ask yourself, if the coin was flipped in a different direction, would they be nominated for an award, or would they not? So give this a listen in three, two, one. Good evening. Thank you, President Meyer. Um, it's always such a joy to recognize our students and community members. And so it is my true honor today um, to recognize the Faust Award winners um, from the Martin Luther King Legacy Project. So I would like to call forward Nibiha Elfakor, who would come on up. I'm going to read some things about you. Just come on over here for a minute. Thank you. Um, and we're really sorry that Tyler Johnson couldn't also be with us tonight, but Tyler went home sick today. So I'm going to read about Tyler just so you can know what wonderful things are happening um, and what wonderful work Tyler has been doing. So Tyler was nominated by English teacher Sarah Dietrich in recognition of his leadership in creating a safe and inclusive environment for his peers as president of Westerville South High School's Gender and Sexuality Alliance. Tyler is a dedicated activist organizing a school-wide protest in solidarity with LGBTQIA students and against legislation aimed at harming LGBTQIA rights. He has participated in multiple rallies for social justice and served on a youth council for LGBT rights. So we really wish Tyler could be with us tonight and we have a certificate of appreciation and we will make sure that we get that to Tyler. So thank you, Ms. Dietrich, for nominating Tyler. And then we're very lucky to have Nabiha with us tonight. Um, Nabiha Ilkoko was nominated by science teacher Tyler Rutledge and librarian Brandy Young. And Ms. Young is with us tonight. Thank you, Ms. Young. And thanks to Mr. Rutledge. She has served as class president all four years of high school and currently serves as student council president. She's a leader of the high school's Black History Month program and launched Westerville South High School's Muslim Student Union, which helped set up a specialized prayer room in the library. Nabiha also started the Power to Poets Club to help her peers express themselves through poetry. And I can attest that a student who goes to South how passionate Nabiha is about poetry. <clears throat> the group has extended their outreach to elementary schools, introducing younger students to poetry. Really appreciate. She serves, currently serves as a student president for the executive board of the Ohio Association of Student Leaders. And throughout the year, she interns with Ohio Rep Ismail Mohammed at least twice a week. And so I want to recognize Nabiha Elkakor for all this, all this wonderful work, so many things you've done. Thank you for being here tonight. Um, and I also want to recognize Ms. Young and for nominating Tyler and Nabiha. So congratulations to me. Congratulations. And we have a certificate for you. I'm going to come on up and shake some hands. Oh, my. Let's review, shall we? Again, 
The first student who wasn't there, you can assume is a gay male. Probably pretends to be a female. Who's to tell these days? It's all confusing. But Satan, as we know, is the father of confusion, so there's that. This particular student led a school-wide protest. Now, of course, they say school-wide, implying that everybody was participating, which you know that's impossible. There's no way that every student and or teacher was participating in such a thing. But with that aside for a minute, and that gaslighting over, over there, they led a school-wide protest about the vetoing of Mike DeWine by the House in Ohio that now has made law that you cannot mutilate children and that minors can't mutilate themselves far from the watchful eye or participation of their own parents. So there's that aspect of it, not to mention it had to do with the fact that people who are pretending to be girls can't play in boys' sports and vice versa. That the whole tranny in sports thing is now illegal in the state of Ohio, and this person, who wouldn't play a sport ever, led a protest, which I'm sure they weren't held accountable for, because, you know, parents would get involved with lawyers and say they have the right to and blah, blah, blah. But again, this was all allowed and this was rewarded. So, let's examine the flip side of that coin. What if a straight student who is not gay led a protest against genital mutilation and against government and parents wanting to genitally mutilate their own children because they're all brainwashed. What if that took place along with this individual, of course, leading the same school-wide protest, protesting trannies wanting to play in whatever sport they want and go to the bathroom in whatever bathroom they want? What if that person let a school-wide protest for such a thing. What would happen to them? Would there be an award or a nomination for an award that would be proposed to the board to then only have the board do what? Have a serious behind-closed-door debate as to whether or not they should allow such an award or a nomination to go through and actually be given to said student? I mean, if you want to play a serious sociological experiment on a school district, that's what you should do. You should nominate an individual for their quote-unquote activism who goes against the whole LGBTQ bullshit. Nominate that person. Make that widely known to the public. Make it known to the board. Email them and then see what happens. But don't hold your breath because you'll black out. You're holding your breath for them to respond kindly. It's not going to happen. This double standard is such an easy game to play that it's absolutely embarrassing. Now, the second student equally is embarrassing. A Muslim female who is apparently a senior in high school sits on city council, is apparently in, in charge of the Black History Month Club as a Muslim 
and is a part of a Muslim student union in a high school. And, I should add, is allowed to have a Muslim prayer room exist within a library. Now, let's examine the flip side of that coin. If this was a Christian student leading a Christian organization who was in charge of Christian History Month or wanted to start a White People History Month or what have you, would they be given the opportunity? What if they wanted to set up a prayer room inside of the library for Christians? Would they be given the opportunity? What if this individual was nominated? Would they receive a real nomination, let alone an award from the same school board? Of course not. The Jewish lobby runs American education, and it needs the useful idiots to sit on school boards and superintendents who are all spineless and order followers to go along with those two awards and those nominations that you just heard. They need that to exist. They could squash it, but they don't. Even though those individuals, including the board, don't represent the majority of the school, nor the district, nor the parents who send their children to this district. There's no way. They don't represent the majority. So the squeaky wheel gets the grease all of the time because they think that it's bad press to not accept such things. Now, they took it a step further, and this was interesting also. As you've heard me say with this school board, very rarely to never do they have public comments. And they should, but they don't. And the reason they don't is because everybody's a spineless coward. That's pretty much why. That's why they don't come up to the lectern and complain about things publicly and make things known. They're afraid. They're afraid of losing their job. They're afraid of being ostracized by their community. They're afraid by a thousand things and a thousand reasons, but fear is quite the motivator. So this guy who is sitting in the back, and you can act, well, you can see him on camera. He's sitting there. In fact, there were two other individuals that were sitting there too, and I thought, well, they're never there. I wonder if they are going to speak up and say anything, and they didn't. But this one guy gets up. He's wearing a Broncos sweatshirt and a Broncos hat. Time for the public comments. And what does the president of the board say? The president of the board opens the comments by running down a list of rules of things that the person at the lectern cannot do or cannot say or cannot direct their comments toward. Completely ridiculous, a total violation of the First Amendment, absolutely outrageous. With that said, and again, it was like, it was things like, you're not allowed to, you're not allowed to get angry, you're not allowed to curse, you're not allowed to direct your comments at us or any individual, you're not allowed to, you're not allowed to. I mean, it was, it was, it's beyond crazy. But he starts to talk, and what he says is a bit confusing, so I'm going to try to translate instead of actually playing his audio. He basically indicates that the school district sent out an email to everyone voicing their disgust for the veto of that same bill that now makes genital mutilation of minors illegal and that trannies aren't allowed to play in whatever sport they want. 
and that the again the board drafted some kind of an email or some kind of a memo and sent it out to the public discussing this allegedly the guy however does the fateful mistake of saying now i don't i don't know who wrote that email it could have been an intern or whatever and and i just want to know who wrote it i just, i'm just interested in who wrote it so he's already asking them questions when he should know they don't answer questions and then he, of course, panders to them by saying, well, I have LGBTQ friends too. Huge mistake. You don't do that. When you speak at a board meeting, you have to go in no holds barred and you can't hold back. You tell them things they know nothing about. You demand answers to your questions. You go in, hopefully, beforehand having emailed them something that you want from them in return. That way, you can say to them, I emailed you on this date and I have yet to receive a response back. You can even bring in a copy of the email that you sent them and show it to everybody to prove that the board and the superintendent and the treasurer or whoever you're communicating with is unresponsive. This throws the shit to the fan, which is a good thing. This has to happen, but this doesn't happen. Why? Fear. It's fear. People are afraid. They're still afraid. After all of these psyops and all of these lies and everything else, they're all afraid. This guy wanted to know who, who, who wrote the email or who wrote the memo. I don't know if he went there on his own accord. I don't know if his wife told him to go. I don't know if somebody yelled at him who was a friend and said, hey, man, you need to get in there and start asking questions. And he was like, okay, I'll go. But he didn't, he didn't ask the right questions. I'm starting to think that the lectern in that boardroom is poisonous in some way, in that when a person touches it, they lose the ability to speak clearly. It really is embarrassing. And I, I can't for the life of me understand why, other than the simple fact, and it is a fact, that they are afraid. They're afraid of school boards. Ladies and gentlemen, you can't win any battle on any playing field, so to speak. Certainly not in this war, which is an information war against a school board if you're afraid. You can't do it. So it's not a battle that exists for everybody, clearly. It's just not. But again, with those two particular student awards and then the follow-up email comment, that should tell you all you need to know about American K-12 schools. They play these games that invite problems. They make work for themselves all of the time. It's their thing. I mean, it's what they do. They're notorious for it. Now, again, the public comments and the responses that anybody gives within a school board meeting, if individuals aren't saying things that are different from one time to the next, then that individual doing the speaking isn't learning anything. And the one thing you never do is you never thank your enemy for serving. You never thank your enemy for doing whatever it is that they do in whatever position they hold. You never thank them. And then you don't expect the enemy to do what you want them to do, even when you tell them what you want them to do. It's foolish. And it's a fool's errand and a fool's game. This isn't how this war is won. You've heard me say how you win this war. You unenroll your children. 
That's how you win. We have 10 more students that just unenrolled today. Um, uh, is something something going on? Oh, oh uh, there's 20 students that have unenrolled within the last three days. Is, is there something we don't, we don't know about? And then that number increases with time. That's how you win. That's how you bankrupt these people. That's how you give them nowhere to go. And then the game is over. But if you keep playing the game, you're going to lose. Because this is a full steam ahead, Jewish lobby, communist-driven agenda. You can't beat that if you keep participating. Case in point, the Oxford Community School District in Oxford, Michigan. I want to play one piece of audio from one guy who consistently shows up in their board meetings where the Ethan Crumbly shooting took place, and he says the same things over and over and over again. Now, I understand the man's passion. I get it. But he's still asking the enemy to do what he wants, which they'll never do. And he's not even, I should say, engaging in what I would refer to as divide and conquer. He's not even doing that. He's not singling out a single person in order to discourage people from wanting to take that position in the future and then have the other board members gang up on said person because in the game of divide and conquer, you know that there are weak spots on a particular school board, which is why you go after one individual who is the weakest and you crush them because the other people will then gang up on that person and try to get rid of them. But what he doesn't understand is, is the entire board is in this all the way to the end. Every single person who sits on that particular board is in this on the way to, all the way to the end. I'm going to play his audio, and you're going to get a taste of exactly what I just described. So give him a listen in three, two, one. Uh, I'd like to know if you would please direct your new attorney, Perkins Coy, to file suit against the individuals named for their failures in the guidepost investigation, beginning with all seated board members of, that were present on November 30th, including Heather Schaefer, Schaefer and Mary Hanser, Superintendent Tim Throne, Principal Stephen Wolf, Pam Fine, Hopkins, EJAC, SRO, and Rourke. Uh, just as a small step of justice for our four dead children that were murdered because of their gross negligence. And, uh, you know, I, it's a, like the least we could do. I appreciate the leadership that you're providing, hiring this new firm to address the insurance company. But I think it's also time to go a step further and put these people back on their heels. I'd also recommend the immediate firing and termination and removal of Dr. Vicki Markovich as superintendent for her failure to lead our organization in the last year we have documentation of her undermining our own board withholding information and basically making life difficult for the community specifically the students at the high school and uh, she's coordinating with the counselors there to run interference and um you know laura Azoni not being present and being given a hard time as the recovery coordinator for 19 months being run out of the high school and now we don't have anybody there i think it's just unacceptable and it's just another indicator of an agenda that's um doesn't really put our students first so i appreciate what you're doing aaron and um, i hope you can take action against these individuals uh, like should have been done 
um, two years ago. I don't know why, but I am happy that Heather and Mary are here. I think you both serve as examples to our community of failure, of failed leadership, and the blood of our children are in your hands. So you get to live with that. So please keep coming to the meetings. And I don't know why you keep going to Atlanta or Washington, D.C. Um, to advocate for your policies and all this important stuff when our own high school isn't put back in order from your failures. So you, you want to go out and work on policy and try and fix this stuff for the rest of the country. Why don't you take care of your own district first? And, you know, next time, why don't you just pay for your own $10 Starbucks instead of handing in your receipts? You know, I don't, I don't think that's really appropriate. Um, I don't know what your agenda is. If you're trying to get hired somewhere, if you're trying to get a promotion with somebody, but what you're doing to this community and to our victims and much love to all the students and survivors of Oxford school shooting and Michigan state. Um, we love you. We love our teachers. Um, those are the two best things we have going in this district and we care about you and we're going to keep making it an issue until these issues are resolved. Couple of things here too. Again, a novice would listen to that and they would say to themselves, yeah, he gave it to him. He called them out and he called them names and he named names and he named all the things that they're doing and blah, blah, blah. And that's all great. That's all good. I'm not criticizing that. Perfect. Good for him. If people are unaware of these people's names or the positions they hold or the little things, you know, the ticky tack and suspicious things that they're doing, great. Say it. Go for it. Now, I don't know if he was being facetious at the beginning when he was actually asking the district's new law firm, Perkins Coey, who, by the way, I found out that that was the case. I mean, I found that out because I knew who they were, and the citizens of that town apparently had no clue. So, you're welcome. That's number one. Number two, when that occurred, and he said that, He's actually asking Perkins Coey, the law firm that's representing all of the school employees now in that district, to fire their own and to hold them what? Criminally or uh, criminally accountable or hold them liable monetarily for something? It's not going to happen. Again, Sean Hopkins, the counselor who was largely responsible for this entire thing taking place outside of Ethan himself is on paid administrative leave right now from the district. I believe he's on paid leave. I know he's on leave because he said so in court until the end of this school year, certainly until May or June. Now, is he going to remain employed after that? I don't know. Has he been investigated regarding his licensure? I don't know. I, of course, have brought this up. Have it, has anybody filed any complaints against Sean Hopkins regarding his license and not following policy and how it led to the deaths of people and so on and so on. Have, have people done that? Have the citizens of that town done that? I don't know. I told, I told people how to do that. It's crystal clear how to do it. Whether they do it or not is another matter. That's not up to me. But again, you can't beg the enemy to change. Can you please do what I want because I want you to do this and I want you to do that and thank you for serving and thank you for serving and thank you for serving. I appreciate your time and your energy. Why are you why are you thanking them? Why are you doing that? 
They're a criminal organization. You don't thank criminal organizations for engaging in criminal behavior. You don't do that. Again, it's, it's an unfortunate set of circumstances, but this is how deep the brainwashing goes. It goes that deep. It goes so deep that, again, it's Stockholm Syndrome. These people are coming back, and it's not that they're, I mean, they're, they're sort of sympathizing with their captors to a great extent, but they're asking their captors to do what they want to do as captives. <laughs> it's laughable. I'm sorry. It's just laughable. It doesn't work that way. This is, I'm telling you, this is the hook in the back of these people. They could bring that district down overnight, but they don't because they're always trying to get a hold of something that they can't get a hold of. It's not my problem. That's their problem. And again, it is cliche and an awfully wide brush to state that we care about all of the students and all of the teachers and the families, and they're the best thing that, that is going for this school district. I'm, I'm, I mean, did, did, I, did I miss something? Did I miss something? I understand that people send their children to school thinking they're going to be safe. Um, hello, McFly. The cat's out of the bag. If you send your kids to an American K-12 school and something bad happens to them, that's on you as a parent. Well, I just never thought that something like this would ever happen to my child. How often have you heard that? And people are so gullible that they don't think it's going to be them. But the people who are smiling listening to this right now are the homeschooling families, the families that are rearranging their lives if they have to, to protect their children from such systems. This is a system that is not only actively brainwashing your children, but they know that they can get away with murder, literally. They know this. This proves it. Let me give you another example. Uvalde. Again, a listener of the show sent me this in the comments section of my Rumble channel. I didn't even know this existed. I didn't. And it's absolutely incredible. The so-called Uvalde parents, which as we know, are filthy rich at this point. Again, what happened to their actual children? Your guess is as good as mine. Were they trafficked? Have they been killed? Not by some shooter in a school. Uh, I have no idea. I have no idea where these people are after they engage in the crime itself. But this is on the channel Uvalde Videos on Rumble. And there are 68 followers and I don't know how many videos specifically. But here's, here's a piece of audio that I want to play. And again, they were in Congress. Sheila Jackson Lee from Texas, Democrat, full-blown communist, if not a pedophile herself was the head of this particular committee. And the video is titled, Are Both Dr. Roy Guerrero and Frontline Presenting the Truth About the Uvalde Event? Now, as you heard me say regarding Uvalde and that Frontline PBS documentary, in that documentary, which was beyond embarrassing and actually even more of an indictment on the truth of the matter, which is that there was no killing, but on the body cam footage, there's only two parts of that entire thing where you hear actual shooting taking place. You also, as you heard in the Uvalde Frontline documentary, 
There are no children screaming. You don't hear it. Not in any classroom, nothing. In fact, they said that staying quiet, as you may recall, is a part of school policy. That during an actual drill or a real shooting, you're supposed to stay very quiet. In the documentary, they made that sound like that was an excuse as to why the police didn't do anything. But give this guy a listen, this Roy Guerrero and his testimony, and how ridiculous this is. In three, two, one. Was trying to save her friends when the 18 year old burst into her classroom wielding the AR 15 he bought the day after his birthday. She was calling 911 when she was shot to death. She knew what to do. She was brave. She was a fighter. But against a weapon like that, she had no chance. No chance to run, to hide, or to, help, or to shout for help. The following is audio that I was given by a parent of kids from across the rooms where the kids were murdered. These children survived. This is a shrill screaming of kids trying to get out while their classmates are being murdered. Memories call never connected. I could keep going. And it's an eight-minute-long back-and-forth between the testimony and what was said in the Frontline documentary, along with uh, words on the screen that the video producer, of course, made. It's beyond ridiculous. The reason the call didn't go through was because there was no call. And then what happens in the actual video is, is they go to the exact time on the body cam footage, not to mention the hallway security footage, which apparently was non-existent in that hallway, except for the very top of the hallway, and there's no screaming at all of any students of any kind at any time. It was fake. The whole thing. Not to mention, he thinks actually holding a cell phone up to a microphone in a congressional hearing that, by the way, isn't being attended by hardly anyone, that holding that up is somehow evidence of something. That's not evidence. If I screamed on the other end of this microphone and said that I was being robbed at gunpoint, that's not evidence. Again, these people were under oath, allegedly. Sheila Jackson Lee told them to stand up, said you're under oath, raise your right hand, do you promise and swear to tell the, whole, the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth? They all said yes, and they all lied. This is the country we live in. You can't beat that. No one beats that. What you do is, is you beat it with a lack of participation. That's the only way you win here. There's no other way to go up against this. Now, see, what's going to be interesting, because this is something that Congress has kept their hands off of, because, of course, they can't control it because it actually happened, was the Ethan Crumbly shooting. Congress in Washington has stayed away from this one. They're not touching it, not publicly anyway. Again, where's the congressional hearing regarding Ethan Crumbly and the school district there? There isn't one. And you heard the guy earlier in the public comment section of the Oxford board meeting say, why is that particular individual who sits on the board or is the superintendent or exactly what that person's title is, why are they going to Washington, D.C. to lobby about particular things? 
highly suspicious. Again, are they trying to receive funding? Are they trying to receive protection? They've already received Perkins Coie. Isn't that enough? Isn't that enough? That should be proof that they're in bed with the enemy for something that really happened in the interest of protecting themselves. They need a law firm to protect themselves, not Congress. Because again, when it's fake, you need Congress to support you and the media to support you. When the shooting is real, you get law firms involved. Because law firms require what? Evidence. And if there's actual evidence of an actual shooting with blood, bodies, security cameras, security footage, if there's a trial, well, there's your evidence then. Again, what's interesting about this too, and and there's a second video which I'm not going to play because it's 34 minutes long and 48 seconds, but it's on the same Uvalde Videos channel on, on Rumble. It is titled, Inconsistencies Between the Uvalde 911 Call Log and the Official Timeline of the Uvalde Event. I highly recommend watching it. It's astounding. It's very well done. They go through this with a fine-tooth comb and highlight all of the inconsistencies. You heard me say this too regarding the inconsistencies of that. It has to do with bullet holes. How many times was a trigger pulled compared to the number of bullet holes that exist at the entire scene of the so-called crime? They don't add up. They don't add up. There's no security footage again of any shooter shooting windows out from the from the outside of the building into the building. Remember that was a big part of that story too. The shooter ran up and just started shooting aimlessly into the windows of the classrooms trying to kill whoever he could. There's no proof of that. Again, the you know, it, it really surrounds itself with a couple of things. The depths of the lies that exist and then who is willing to tell the truth about it, and then, of course, who gets afraid and doesn't want to tell the truth about what really goes on in these environments. You've probably figured it out. I'm not afraid. You can't be if you're going to go up against the enemy. And these people, as we know, are controlled by a massive lobby of Satanists. Deception is their game. Control is what they seek. And your participation is the only thing that hinges on them succeeding. So, stop participating. Find another way. Now here, unfortunately, to bring it to this next story, and it's connected, this is exactly what continued participation and going along with the own erosion of your own rights leads to. This is out of Michigan, not surprising. It is titled, New Michigan Gun Laws to Take Effect This Week. It says new gun laws are going into effect in the state of Michigan and owners are being urged to keep their unattended guns, rather, stored away safely or face fines and possible jail time. says the new laws take effect on Tuesday, February 13th, just the other day, and supporters say that they'll provide more assurance on safe measures taken for purchasing guns, storing guns, and making sure gun owners have a healthy state of mind. Okay, they were supposed to be doing that anyway. A lot of that's common sense, but now it's full-blown law, allegedly. Give this audio a listen in 321. Tomorrow, new gun laws are going into effect in the state of Michigan. Owners are being urged to keep their unattended guns stored away safely 
or face fines and possible jail time. Thanks for watching at 530. I'm Elise Ramey. And I'm David Custer. The stated goal of the new laws is to stop unnecessary gun injuries. TV5's Trey Harris joins us live in the studio. Trey. The new laws take effect tomorrow. Supporters say they'll provide more assurance on safe measures taken on purchasing guns, storing guns, and making sure gun owners have a healthy state of mind. It's a very big deal for Michigan residents, uh, and it's going to make Michigan a much safer place for people to visit and for people to live. In the wake of multiple mass shootings across the state, new gun laws going into effect relate to universal background checks, so-called red flags, and safe storage. Every year, we have approximately 1,200 uh, firearm deaths in the state of Michigan. The safe storage law will force gun owners to make sure guns are stored safely away and loaded when minors are present. If not followed, that could lead up to jail or prison time. The red flag law will allow judges to order police to temporarily take guns away from people they deem a risk to themselves or to other people. When you have an individual uh, who is having a, a serious mental health episode, a serious um, emotional disturbance. Previous to this, we haven't had really any ability to do anything when a person has threatened their own lives or the lives of somebody else, um, and they have firearms accessible to do. Beginning Tuesday, universal background checks will be required before all gun purchases. The state law will apply the federal standard, meaning those convicted of felonies are barred from owning guns, along with those convicted of misdemeanor domestic violence. It's just ensuring that we're closing the loopholes uh, that allow people who are already ill, uneligible to, to have, to possess, to purchase a firearm from getting them in the first place. Steve Doolin, a professor of firearms law at Cooley Law School, says he believes the new laws need refining, believing that as they stand now, they will cause more problems than solutions. Michigan is one of only a handful of states that has any firearm registration whatsoever. That is not the norm by any means across the country. And this law makes things more complex, more difficult to comply with. It's really just a way to discourage people from purchasing guns, in my opinion. Attorney General Dana Nessel says that in 2020, guns became the number one cause of death for children in the state. She's among the supporters of the new laws. You know, we don't have to live this way. We could have just very basic gun safety laws on the books that we know have proven to save lives. Well, in Michigan, we do now. You can also contact your local law enforcement office to ask about getting free locks and safety kits. Trey Harris, WNAM TV5. That, of course, was Dana Nessel, the Attorney General of Michigan, speaking largely throughout that entire presentation. And again, the flip side of the coin is astounding. Who is she going after? Is she going after black parents? Are they going after black citizens who exist within the state of Michigan? Are they going to go into Detroit and start knocking on doors of the so-called mentally ill, as she said, and keep guns away from them? I think not. That isn't going to happen, because there will be a gunfight. You can surround the building of some mentally ill individual. Again, it's just... It's more red flag laws. It, like the lawyer said in the presentation, it's more confusion. There's no chance. And people are going to go along with it. Why? Because they're afraid. They're going to go along with it because, again, they slowly advocate for the own erosion of their own rights on a constant basis. There's reciprocity, actually, from almost all states among one another, except for Oregon, California, Illinois, New York, I think 
I could be wrong here, but I want to say Minnesota, I believe, and then the northeastern or certainly far eastern states such as Massachusetts, Connecticut, things, you know, Rhode Island, things of that nature. That's unfortunately predictable. And again, the irony from a historic standpoint is really upsetting. The simple fact that the 13 colonies, unfortunately, are some of the states where you can't carry a gun. And there's no reciprocity from one state to the next, certainly into those states. Beyond embarrassing. I mean, the Founding Fathers are rolling in their graves over that one. But this is it. This is the slow roll. This is the slow erosion, wave after wave after wave of your rights. And this is the control. So what happens next? You either comply or you don't, and you run the risk of something happening potentially. Again, the scenario was brought up. If somebody breaks into your house, now certainly in the state of Michigan, and they steal your gun, and then they use your gun in a crime, is the gun owner going to be held accountable because they didn't have it locked up a particular way? Because let's face it, that's what happened in the Ethan Crumbly case. Same thing. Ethan stole the gun. That was really never brought up in trial that Ethan should have been charged with unlawful gun possession for stealing it. Didn't happen. Kind of a big deal. Seems like more evidence. But again, you know, don't worry. I'm sure you can send a letter to Dana Nessel and she'll change her ways. I'm sure you can, you know, speak to her publicly at some Q&A forum or some town hall meeting and, you know, she'll just go along with whatever you want to go along with. Nope. They're coming after white people on a constant basis. They're not going to go after the individuals who engage in the actual gun crime. And notice she skipped over that fact. Notice how she didn't mention that particular detail of who actually commits most of the gun crimes in the state of Michigan. Frankly, let alone anywhere in the United States. We know who. We know who does that. Now, I want to bring up this next thing because this, again, should prove to people how deep the lobby goes. And again, you can't make this up. This came out just the other day. And this should prove to people again that I've got my thumb on this correctly. This is a serious issue. I can't emphasize this enough. This is on the Heritage Foundation's own website. You've heard me call these people out. You've heard me say that they are gatekeepers of gatekeepers. This again is a Jewish-funded lobby that has existed in maintaining the status quo and then making inroads in certain areas to make it look like they're changing things for the better while at the exact same time laying out the entire playing field and the whole landscape for people to see, excuse me, certainly on a superficial level, in order to satisfy certain people but ultimately kick the can down the road. This article was published by them and three of their authors, at least one of which I'm familiar with, this Lindsay Burke, Ph.D. She's the same gal who wrote the entire chapter inside of the Heritage Foundation's Project 25, I'm sorry, Project 2025 document that outlines all of the things that they want to see happen in education for whatever administration comes next. Whether they be a conservative administrator, uh, you know, president, or uh, or or anybody, 
This is going to be their proposal that's going to be waiting on the White House Oval Office desk. But this particular article, again, was just written the other day on February 13th. It's titled, Protecting American Universities from Undue Foreign Influence. Now, first of all, it's, <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm sorry. It's so laughable. It's so embarrassing. Answer me this question, okay? It's a bit of a pop quiz. Who do you think really has a grip on American universities? If you said Israel or the Jewish lobby, you'd be correct. The actions of the past couple of months should have proved that alone. Again, Elise Stefanik losing her mind in Congress. All of these presidents of these universities getting fired because they're not calling out quote-unquote anti-Semitism while allowing Middle Eastern and Muslim students to be doxxed by those very Jewish organizations and those same Jewish student-led groups. As you've heard me say, who drove the truck? Who drove the truck? Who found the information? Of these individuals and plastered it on the side of a video truck to drive around the entire campus doxing these students who were, again, Middle Eastern Muslim students. That was never brought up in Congress, was it? Nope. It's all one sided. But don't worry, the Heritage Foundation is here to the rescue. Again, titled Protecting American Universities from Undue Foreign Influence, only a fool would believe that that's exactly what they have in mind. First of all, any undue foreign influence comes from almost everyone outside of the United States, including Israel. Now, let's see how often they say Israel, because I bet they say China. I bet they say Muslim terrorists. I bet it says that consistently throughout this document. In fact, they have a summary, and then they have three key takeaway points, but the entire document is rather lengthy. So there's just a few things in this document I want to highlight, but I kid you not, I will uh, link this in the description below so that you can take a closer look, as I have. It really is disturbing. Here's the summary, quote, foreign funding flows to American universities in five primary ways direct gifts to institutions, indirect gifts to institutions, tuition paid by foreign students, U.S. university satellite campuses in foreign countries, and research grants to professors. While such funding is not automatically suspect simply because the source is outside the United States, this foreign money can exert influence on American institutions of higher education, which play a critical role in shaping elite culture and ideas that ultimately influence policy, enforcing transparency requirements, lowering reporting thresholds, requiring the disclosure of funding from sources that may threaten American interests, and prohibiting direct and indirect giving from foreign individuals, entities, and governments located in countries of concern are necessary protections to preserve American interests, unquote. The enemy is not just overseas someplace. It's right here. It's, it already exists right here. 
So again, when they say foreign, it's like a magic trick. It's sleight of hand. They're saying, look over here, look over here, but don't bother looking right at the ground where your feet are standing because that really is where the trick is being played on. That's where the sleight of hand is taking place. Your attention's being drawn away to foreign influence, but it's not the actual influence that already exists here and has existed here since the mid to late 1800s, early 1900s. From the Frankfurt School and far, be- far beyond that, and before that, I should say. Here were the three key takeaways. Foreign funding, while not automatically suspect, flows into U.S. colleges and universities in fri- five pr- primary ways. The second one, those include direct gifts to institutions, indirect gifts, and so on and so on. Again, it was already said in the summary. And the third point, Congress and the executive must enforce transparency requirements lower reporting thresholds, and prohibit gifts from entities in countries of concern. Question. Do you think Congress in the United States would be interested in hearing about Israel's undue influence on American policy regarding university campuses? I think not. Certainly not based on what we've already heard. Do you see how these people are in bed with each other? They're in bed with each other to, again, control the narrative, control the money flow, and then control the distraction for endless people. And then they just move forward with their policies. Now, let me get into some of the examples here that they set forth. Again, they throw around a lot of, a lot of acts and a lot of laws. Uh, you know, the Department of Education's data management is deeply flawed. And they bring up all of this stuff, direct gifts, institutions, indirect gifts, tuition payments. They bring up China. They bring up numerous universities, Chicago, University of Chicago, Duke University, Johns Hopkins University, New York University. They say 58 campuses of U.S. universities are operating in China. Well, there's the China word again. It says six campuses of U.S. universities are operating in Qatar. Four are affiliated with private universities. They call them out. Fine. What about the lobby? that controls the universities here on our own campus. You see, that's the, biggest, that's the biggest problem. And there isn't a mention, not one, in this entire document of Israel. It doesn't come up. You're not going to see the word Jewish influence or the Jewish lobby. doesn't happen. Why is that? Allow me to read the conclusion of this document here. It says the following, quote, American colleges and universities supported by American taxpayers deserve transparency around the sources of foreign funding that may exert influence on these institutions. Enforcing existing transparency requirements, lowering reporting thresholds, and requiring the disclosure of every penny from sources that may threaten American interests are necessary reforms. You don't actually take these people seriously, do you? I don't. They're liars. Congress should also work, it says, to prohibit both direct and indirect giving from foreign individuals, entities, and governments located in countries of concern. Doing so will strengthen colleges and universities and ensure they are oriented toward best serving American student needs. Unquote. Again, you know, it really. It's eye-rubbing madness. It really is. 
They're kicking the can because they're told to kick the can. This is the status quo. This is the organization that wants to quote unquote reform things because these institutions need saving. No, they don't. They need to be done away with. They have to be done away with. This again was written by or compiled by, or maybe even not. Who knows? Who knows who actually wrote this? But it's J.P. Green, Ph.D., is Senior Research Fellow in the Center for Education Policy at the Heritage Foundation, and Adam Kissel is Visiting Fellow in the Center for Education Policy, and a Lindsay M. Burke, Ph.D., is Director of the Center for Education Policy, and Mark A. Colcotrones, no way I got that right, fellow at the American, I'm sorry, at the Heritage Foundation, rather. It shows them, and there you go. I'm sorry. You don't, you don't get to sit in a position like that on a foundation like this and say the things that I say. I mean, you have to play ball with the Jewish lobby to even come close to sniffing the Heritage Foundation. <laughs> they probably, I mean, they probably have a radar outside of their building that, that if they even detected someone such as myself as coming even close to their building, alarms would go off. You have to be a brainwashed goon who loves meetings, loves policy, and loves writing about committees and policy in order to participate in such a thing. They're never hitting on the problem, ladies and gentlemen. They're not doing it, which means nothing's going to change. Did you hear them advocate for homeschooling? I didn't. Did you hear them advocate for online learning at the college or university level? I didn't hear that either. And it's not in the document. Again, people have to do their own homework on their own institutions that they attend. And many of them, if not all, as we know, are, are all dirty. But if an individual is interested in, an, in a degree, certainly in quote-unquote higher education, for either, again, some kind of certification or a promotion or whatever, I recommend the online environment because you can walk away from it. You're only online a certain amount of time. I mean, you're only sending in particular subjects for which, again, the professor cannot lawfully discriminate against you. If, if the subject that they give you, for example, in an assignment, in an online environment, is broad, and you're allowed to write about whatever you want to write about, I mean, they can't discriminate against you. Excuse me. I mean, they, they just can't. And you have recourse through the institution to go after a person if it's evident that you're being discriminated against. Again, I did this when I was in graduate school for a, a number of reasons, but the, the very first time I had to do this was uh, when I was in graduate school for my master's degree. I've, I've told this story before, but I was in a technology class. And it was a male professor, and he was consistently talking about how we need to use social media in the classroom all of the time. Teachers should be on social media, and we should have students on social media, and we should collaborate with endless people on social media. Social media, social media in the classroom all the time. I said, no. Nope. I am a classroom teacher. I see this all of the time. I said, it's getting people hurt. It's getting them seriously hurt. Social media is a poison for children. Hell, it's a poison for adults who don't know what they're doing. But at the exact same time, in the hands of a minor, it can kill them. 
and it does, and I provided ample evidence in numerous peer-reviewed articles that were highlighting these very real things within these, within these papers that I was writing. He was giving me C's on all of the papers, and the only way that I squeezed out with a B in that class was because my discussion posts he was giving me A's on. So he's giving me A's on discussion posts, but C's in the paper. And I'm mentioning the same things in both. He just didn't like it. He didn't like the fact that I was the only dissenting voice among these other brainwashed students who were all going along with social media. And social media is the greatest thing since sliced bread and it's the cat's pajamas and I need to be a part of it and I can use it in my classroom and blah, blah, blah. I, again. People in the education profession had no idea that they could lose their job over social media. And the ironic part is when a coworker would lose their job as a result of posts that they made on social media, everybody would keep their social media pages. Everybody. Again, when I was under investigation myself, for of course nothing, but when I was under investigation, they were constantly trying to find my social media. And they were asking me, after, of course, looking and not finding anything because I wasn't on social media and never had been. But they were consistently trying to find stuff. And then again, like I said, in the interview process with HR and their investigator, they were asking me, do you have any social media posts? And I'm like, you should already know that. The answer is no. And they were, I mean, they were shocked. You mean you're not, you're not on Facebook, you're not, you're not, on, uh, you're not on YouTube, you're not on Twitter? You're, no. No. And then they again looked shocked and they were, and then they started to ask why. Well, well, why? And I leaned forward and I said, because it gets students killed. That's why. And I don't participate in things that hurt students. That was the end of it. <laughs> that was that was the end of the inquiry after that. So again, I'm telling you, the evidence is is abundant. It's everywhere. It's everywhere. All roads of logic are pointing in one direction as to what people should do. Let me mention this also. Again, same, same line of inquiry. And again, always pay attention to who calls out the enemy and who doesn't. This was a particular documentary. It's over two hours long. I've watched a great deal of it, and I haven't heard the J word. I haven't heard Jewish. I haven't heard Jewish lobby. I haven't heard Israel at all. And you're not going to believe what this actual documentary is about. This is from, and you can look them on X and uh, look them up on X rather, and you can watch the entire thing yourself. It is from Robbie Starbuck. Now again, I don't know who this guy is. I've seen him before. Lots of followers. Not sure why. Um, you know, n number of different things here, but. He and his wife apparently put together this documentary that is titled The War on Children. Now, as you might expect, you, you know how this is going to go. He's, he's a so-called conservative, makes a documentary about the war on children, so you know it's going to be about drag queens, it's going to be about library books, it's going to be about sexual degeneracy, it's going to be about all of that. But does he really dive into the real history, so to speak, as to where this all started, where it comes from, and does he go back far enough in time and name names and call people out? No. I didn't hear it. So here's his description. 
He said, quote, and I'm, let me get the date for you here. This was on February 12th on his, uh, on his, on his X account with over 1.3 million views. It says, huge news. 30 million plus people watched the trailer for war on, the War on Children. It says, my ex-subscribers watched the full first film. Their support made it possible for us to do something incredible. The War on Children film is now free for anyone on X to watch this week. One note, if you love our film and you're in a position to do so, please go make a contribution at thewaronchildren.com so we can keep making films like this. You can also subscribe to me here on X. Films take incredible time, energy, and we refuse to work with woke studios. Well, that's interesting. I could go down that, but I'll leave that one alone for a minute. Uh, you power us to keep doing this. The answer, to, I'm sorry, it says, to answer a frequently asked question, the song in the credits is Landon Starbuck Landslide. And yes, it's on all the big music services. Uh, another thing, don't just get outraged by the film. My co-host, Landon Starbuck, my wife, as a nonprofit that explains how parents can take action after watching. Just join their email list at freedomforever.us, and they'll email you a free copy of, quote, the Parenting Revolution Manual. Well, I should probably give that a look. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure that's interesting. Lastly, it says, please don't rip the film and put it on other sites. We're doing this only on X because the support of our subs is the only reason why this is possible. Thank you at Elon Musk for amazing platform for this amazing platform that always uh, sorry that allows creators to create without censorship. Please. <laughs> He's assuming that X doesn't censor people. What planet does he live on? Now, here's who he tags in this. He tags a bunch of people. Here's some amazing people uh, in the film that you should follow. Chaya Ratchik, who, of course, is Libs of TikTok, at Libs of TikTok. I don't recognize these other people. Um, Rand Paul, Riley Gaines, and that's, yeah, and other people that I, I'm sorry, I don't recognize them. The ones I said I recognize, but other people, you know, whatever. I, I don't. Again, does he talk about the Jewish lobby? Does he talk about the Talmud? Does he bring this up? No, he doesn't. How about accurate German history in the 1930s, 1920s, or before then? And the degeneracy that existed there before the time of Adolf Hitler when he was elected. Does that get brought up? No. <laughs> you see the issue here? These people kicking the can down the road is a huge problem. It ties back into the very first thing I said at the very beginning here. You, you can't fight the enemy if you aren't going to name the enemy. Now, this is the fun part about Stu Peters. Stu Peters knows this. On his show, he's learned, and he knows this. He fully understands who the Jewish lobby is, and who the enemy is. And you can never fight an enemy if you aren't even going to acknowledge who the enemy is. Again, the Robbie Starbucks of the world aren't school teachers, never have been. 
He doesn't understand the level of corruption. He's this Chris Rufo character who exists on the surface and isn't getting down to brass tacks because he can't get down to brass tacks. All his money will dry up because he's afraid. This is the problem. This is because the lobby has control over numerous individuals. But you can't serve two masters. You just can't. You're either all in with Christ himself, the truth, and nothing but, or you need to get your ass out of the kitchen because you can't take the heat. Robbie, again, making these, these puff pieces. I'm sorry. You know, showing a drag queen. I mean, there's a, there's a specific scene in the documentary where he shows a drag queen these particular photos from other schools where drag queens have showed up, and he's trying to el- elicit in a res- you know, a response from a drag queen who was invited to, to listen to all of this. I mean, is it a therapy session? Is he trying to change the opinion of a drag queen? It's just useless. It's useless if you don't call out the enemy. So there you go. One last story. Again, they keep coming here. The gaslighting, again, is super hard. And the enemy's working real hard to gaslight as many people as possible. And this is an odd one, too. This is a local private school that exists. It's a Catholic high school that exists in, the, in a neighboring town. In fact, this exists in the same town where I conducted my dissertation research, although that was in the public school. Well, this is the local private school. And this, again, is from our Tri-County, uh, our Tri-County newspaper. It is titled, Baden High School to have more students next year than in a quarter century. It says, growth is part of reason why Butler County's only Catholic high school expanded parking lot to construct athletic complex. Now again, based on the title, that would make it sound like they have an abundance of new students compared to years in the past. Oh, how mistaken they are. And it's not true at all. In fact, they only have, so they say, 10 more students than what they had 25 years ago. That's it. I mean, does that shock anybody? Why is that such a big number? I don't understand. But here's what it says. It says, quote, Baden High School continues to grow, said school president Brian Pendergast at Thursday's State of the Schools luncheon at Fitton Center. It says their incoming freshman class for the 2024-25 school year, 187 students, will nearly match this year's large freshman class of 190. So next year's is going to be three students less. Okay. It says which will put the school at more than 720 students. This year, their enrollment is 695, with 137 in the senior class. Okay, congratulations. You're going to have 25 more students next year than you had this year. That's not unusual. People are clamoring to get out of the public system. Unfortunately, what many people don't know is that the charter and private school apparatus is equally as corrupt. 
but it continues here regarding their numbers, which again are a bit strange. It says, to give some perspective, Pendergast said that the school had 448 students in 2010 and 2011 school year, and the last time they had more than 700 was in the 2000 to 2001 school year with 710. So just to review, they're only picking up 10 students in a 24-year in a 24-year span. That's not a lot. It is again based on apparently a lack of enrollment back in I guess that would be 14 years ago, but as far as 24 years ago, it's it's back to being the same. It says our continued growth has been tremendous and we believe that enrollment is due to the outstanding teachers that they work with and the faith development opportunities they receive at Baden said Pendergast. Students have the opportunity to receive a top-notch education with tremendous teachers who take our mission to heart and strive to help every student achieve their personal bests, plural. Okay, good for them. I mean, what else is he going to say? <laughs> is he going to say, this is a horrible school, uh, we're indoctrinating everybody, the curriculum is false, but we offer all kinds of clubs and groups and distractions, and our entire goal, of course, is to brainwash the masses along with the individuals delivering the instruction. I mean, is that really what he's going to say? No. He's not going to say that. He's a talking head. He's, he's, uh, he's a mouthpiece, and he likes his job, and he wants to keep it, so he's got to play the game. Not to mention, to slide into the COVID talk here and the fake COVID talk and the jab talk for this episode, I mean, what was their policy on COVID jabs? They had to have allowed them or forced them on people. They forced the masks. They weren't exempt from that. There, there may have been exemptions, but again, the irony. The irony of a Catholic private school offering a religious exemption for their own implemented policy. <laughs> can't make that up. I mean, you, you just can't. That's, that's, I mean, that's rich. That's a, certain, that's a certain flavor right there. Now, very quickly, speaking of flavors, believe it or not, um, the methylene blue talk from the last episode um, this is an interesting discussion and an interesting debate, and this is something again that I'm I'm new to, and this is something that apparently has been around for quite some time. There are entire podcasts dedicated to methylene blue, and the kinds of again benefits or lack thereof, depending on a person's perspective as far as dosing is concerned, and and what it does or does not do. I f I find the just, you know, from, a, again, a 40,000-foot view looking down on it, I, I find the debate interesting. There's ample evidence that it has benefits. And then, of course, as you might expect, with anything that would have benefits in this day and age, there's going to be individuals who say that it doesn't have benefits. So I'm not telling people what to do one way or another. It's completely up to you, and these are decisions that, of course, you'll have to make. But I've been communicating with Kim Carter on this. And she has acquired it, and now she is taking it. And I'm just going to share with you what she's doing. And then again, uh, I'm not saying that you should do it. I'm, I'm not doing it. I have no need to. But she's just basically gauging what this is going to do to her. And she's being cautious regarding the dosage. So she has a bottle of it. And she said the following, starting today, 
just finished the book and she read a book about methylene blue, which I think I, I don't know if I, yeah, I put it in the last, uh, it's in the last war video. You can check that out over there. I included a picture of it anyway. And she said, I'm starting at 0.5 milligrams per kilogram dose, which is 24 drops. She said, I'm going to half it and take 12 drops twice a day. I said, make sure, I said, good luck, make sure and, and document everything and, uh, and so on and so forth. And she said, I had breakfast this morning because I asked her about, do you take it on an empty stomach or, or with food? She said, I had breakfast this morning, egg and bacon sandwich on, the ho- on homemade sourdough. And, uh, and I put 12 drops and dumped a capsule of liposomal vitamin C into some water and mixed it up. And adding ascorbic acid makes it leuco-reduced. And then she said she sat in her sauna with red light. She said the red light increases the electron transport chain. I asked her if there was any noticeable effect, and she said she just took it about 30 minutes ago as I'm recording this. And she said, so, so far, not really. She said, I'll update you later today after she takes her second dose. And she included this particular website, which again, I'll include in the description below if you're interested in checking this out. This is holisticnootropics.com. And it's titled, this particular article, uh, hang on, pop-up window, there we go. Methylene Blue, Benefits, Dosing, Where to Buy, and More. So again, you know, there's, uh, there's, there's videos on this, uh, th- there's all kinds of stuff, you know, I'm, I'm leaving it up to anybody, um, clearly. I mean, I'm not forcing anybody to do anything. Like I said, I'm not doing this, but uh, there's no need for me to do it. But again, people have asked the question again about the shedding. And when you're around the individuals who are jabbed, of course, in the electromagnetic transfer, that certainly is a real thing and exists between people because this is how people become ill. Uh, you know, is this a viable, a viable treatment or a viable uh, a cure to some extent? It, it very well could be. I'm not sure. But I'll bring you her results in the next episode as to what's going on and and what she's feeling regarding this, and we'll go from there. But either way, again, we can't let things like this pass by without at least bringing them up. I think that's that's the whole point. You know, I haven't heard Robert Malone or Dr. McCullough or Pierre Corey or those so-called freedom doctors, I haven't heard them mention this. So again, question is why? Is it because there's no money in it for them? Or is there another reason? I'm not sure. I'll let you decide. With that said, ladies and gentlemen, again, thank you for listening, and I'll catch you on Monday. Have a great weekend. Peace. Thank you for listening to American Education FM. Make sure and check out AmericanEducationFM.com for more information. Take care and God bless.